Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today is September 30th, 2021, Canada's Orange Shirt Day. I'll be talking with Petersburg resident Derek Osoup, his sister Linda Osoup, and her husband George Morasti about Orange Shirt Day and the effects of Indigenous residential schools on them and their families. Before we begin, I wanted to offer a warning that the following content can be triggering to some individuals. The subject matter of this episode is Indigenous residential schools and the resulting abuse and trauma. If you feel you need assistance, please reach out to a trusted friend, family member, or Mountainside Behavioral Health here in Petersburg at 772-4963. They also have a 24-7 crisis line at one 877-294-0074. One more introduction for listeners. Today we are talking with Derek Osoup, his sister Linda Osoup, and her husband George Marasti about Orange Shirt Day and residential schools in Canada and the United States. Welcome. We're doing this on Zoom because Linda and George are in Canada and Derek and I are here in Petersburg. Would you like to say hello? Hello. Hi there. Hello. (laughs) So Linda, um, do you want to tell me a little bit about what you do in Canada for for a job? Okay, um, my name is Linda Osoup and I'm a resolution health support worker with the Prince Albert Indian Metis Friendship Center in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And I work with um, Indian residential school students, former students and their families. And we've also helped others um, with um, different areas such as the 60 school per Indian day school and other things like the sanatorium with uh, doing emotional support to supporting these people, um, depending where they're on in their journey, if they're, you know, starting or if they're uh, continuing their healing journey. Do you want to give us a little background about Orange Shirt Day and tell us what it's September 30th and what is the history of Orange Shirt Day? Why the importance of it? Um, Orange Shirt Day started with Phyllis Webster. She was the one who wrote the book about her experience at residential school. But it starts out with her uh, being at home with her grandmother and they were getting ready for her to go into the residence. And this was during the 70s. And so... How they prepared was that they went and they went in the shop together and they bought an orange shirt and Phyllis wore that the first day of school when she was taken and uh, when she got there the shirt was taken from her and so began her experience as a as a student as one of the residents in in British Columbia and she stayed there for the year so it wasn't a very good experience for her as she said like she was uh, very lonesome and for her home and for her grandmother. And so this um, orange uh, symbolized something like uh, 
uh, where she was taking back something that was lost or stolen from her when she became an adult. And so in 2013, she worked with her community and they began with a, they came up with a slogan, every child matters. And so from that, it is to remember and honor all the former Indian residential school students uh, to remember those who came back and for those who didn't make it back, those that we lost at the schools. And so um, this year in Canada, it, it became a national, it became the National Truth and Reconciliation Day. And so it's uh, recognized by the federal government. But um, so it's something for the federal it's a federal, it's a federal statutory holiday, but uh, some of the provinces have yet to um, uh, to bring it into legislation. So to adopt it, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. This is this is such a heavy topic, and I'm so grateful that you and Derek and George are willing to talk to me about this. Um, it became apparent to me that. I knew Derek was from Canada. Um, I didn't actually know Derek was native, but something he had posted on Facebook when they were, when the news of the children they were finding at residential schools this summer um, made me aware. And we were talking about this because Derek is my age. He's probably a little younger though. <laughs> and um, he said that your siblings went to residential schools. And Linda, are you older or younger than Derek? I'm younger. <laughs> <laughs> Just by a year or so. Yeah. yeah. And so I think there's kind of this perception that residential schools is something that happened a long time ago, and they certainly did happen. They've been happening for generations. But I think what really surprised me is Derek's my age and to have all of his siblings attending residential schools and then um, maybe I'll just have Derek tell the story, but um, about why you didn't have to attend Derek. Well, um, I think, <clears throat> I think, um, both uh, me and my younger sister were, uh, I always look at it as us being the fortunate ones um, that we didn't have to go through that, that experience that all of our siblings and uh, parents and grandparents went through. Um, you know, I, I think as I, as I'm getting older and, you know, and I think about, uh, you know, the history of, uh, just our, uh, our reservation and our, our family. And I, you know, I, I, I don't think I would want to even imagine what it was like for them. I mean, I remember hearing stories about, um, you know, from my older brothers and sisters getting dropped off at residential school. And I remember, you know, just, tidbits flashbacks of what the school looked like that they went to. And, um, I don't think I would, I don't think I would want to go to a school like that if that's what you considered a school. <laughs> um, it looked more like a, uh, 
more like a like a you know maybe like a low grade facility prison or something you know that just it it just didn't look like a like a school where it had you know just seeing you know uh, boards and stuff like that up on the wall and uh, you know wire over the windows stuff like that it just it just didn't look friendly and um that's what i remember about it and it sure didn't look like the schools that i went to growing up as a kid <laughs> and uh, uh so um i i really think think to myself that you know i i am a fortunate one that didn't have to go through that how old's the sibling ahead of you how many uh, well, ahead of you are they um I, the next one would be, I think it was five years. Is that right? Five or six You're both years. five, yeah. And I think we, I, you know, we, we might've been right on the cusp of maybe, you know, saying, well, maybe you could go to school there or not, but I'm, I'm glad that my parents didn't put us there. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, and for those people listening that don't know that, um, in Canada and the United States, residential school at, at points in history was not an option. It was mandatory. Um, you were required. And how, how old were your siblings when they first left for residential school? Lulu, I'll let you answer that one. Um. I think the older ones, when they went, they must have been about six, six yeah. or seven. Six, seven, eight. About six, seven, eight. And then the, the ones, the younger ones, I'd say some of them were maybe about 12. Again, youngest one, maybe about six, seven. And yeah, going up from that age. And they usually, the older ones went till they were, I think they went three years. So then they they left towards Edmonton, those ones. And the middle ones, I think some of them got kicked out of school. So they came back and they they lived at home with us. But again, they they dropped out of school when they were, you know, when they were 16, when they were old enough to leave. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and... George, did you go to residential school? Uh, yes, I did for uh, quite a few years. I went with uh, some of uh, Linda's brothers uh, at that time. Yeah. I went in 1960. And they were about the same age as I was when I went. I was six years old. Okay. And so... Would you get, when would you get to come home from residential school? Um, the only time we'd get to, to go home would be maybe, maybe Christmas and uh, summer holidays. Yeah. But depending on circumstances, some, some of the students stayed during Christmas either because uh, all the children got sick uh, in the dorm or um, uh, the parents uh, 
weren't at home because they were out on a trap line. Yeah, so they never got to go home. They had to stay at the residence. Okay. So do you have any memories that you would like to share or you would like people to be aware of that was your experience at residential school? Um, yeah, those years, while I was at the residence, they weren't, they weren't the best, you know, years. Uh, there was a lot of things that happened uh, uh, in those schools. Yeah, um, uh, there was a lot of abuse, physical abuse. There's a lot of uh, sexual abuse. Uh, yeah, things we we um, know it happened, but we didn't couldn't talk about it without. Uh, repercussions from the higher-ups, the supervisors, and yeah, whoever was uh, keeping us at that time in, in those storms. Yeah. Yeah, and they were, uh, where I was, was uh, an old army barracks at uh, Prince Albert's Saskatchewan. It was called All Saints, and yeah, and the uh, army uh, left and uh, there's two schools that burnt down in Saskatchewan where all the students uh, came to Prince Albert to go to school. Yeah. Wow. I think one of the, the most shocking things for me, just because you don't think about it, um, it's like your brain shuts off, like you, it, you say residential school, but it, you don't really think about what happens or, you know, there's kind of a block that goes up there. Um, but as I was researching to talk to, to you that the, um, initially they had tried day schools and then they moved to residential schools because they wanted to cut children off from the um, influence of their parents and culture. And that was the whole purpose behind the residential school so that the d dominant influence in the child's life would be the government and the school. And um, that was so hard for me to grasp as a mother and um, yeah, and so I guess what I'm kind of wondering is how do you, how do each of you, how do you hold on to your culture and your family um, and make those connections in the face of that? How did your family handle that, remaining connected? It's... Um Okay, growing up, before I went to residential school, so I grew up with the sun dance and the round dances. And, you know, I, I was into my culture before I went to the residential school. Yeah. And then when I got taken away by uh, the priests, um, things changed, you know, like where we had to go to church, we had to kneel down, say prayers, indoctrinated, I guess you can say, uh, uh, 
We always have to do uh, certain things for the church or with the church or, you know, if we don't follow what they do, then, uh, you know, you're in for it. You're, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna suffer for it. Yeah. 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 But anyways, I, 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 there was no uh, love practice in those uh, churches, as, as they said they they would uh, do a, yeah. yeah, it was, it was uh, the other way around, where there's uh, beatings, uh, there, yeah. Uh, abuse, all sorts of abuse, spiritual abuse, scared uh, uh, getting the kids to believe that if you do this, you're going to go to hell. You're going to, you know, uh, there was no culture uh, in those schools. Yeah. Yeah. We lost uh, even my language. Um, I know my language and I speak my language, but there's so much I've lost, you know, like that. The naming of of the different kinds of birds or uh, fishes. We had a name for you know for everything, eh? and I lost all all that yeah, while I was in those schools. Yeah, yeah. But I uh, I guess I made up my mind. I'm gonna keep my my language. Uh, you know, no matter no matter what. Yeah. yeah. So, and who do you talk to with your language? Pardon. Who do you talk to with your language? Was it your mother, your grandmother? Yeah, my they, they all spoke the uh, language. They all spoke to me in in, in the Cree language, and um, and sometimes at the residential school we would we would sneak uh, our languages, even though there's different languages. Like, there's so many languages. That you get to know a little bit of each language, each, you know, and then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the way it is. Yeah, we snuck our languages sort of. You snuck it. That's, yeah. I'm glad you did. Language <laughs> is such a valuable thing. Yeah. Yeah. But if I got caught, you know, it, 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 was, it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today is September 30th, 2021, Canada's Orange Shirt Day. I'm talking with Petersburg resident Derek Osoup, his sister Linda Osoup, and her husband George Morasti about Orange Shirt Day and the effects of Indigenous residential schools on them and their families. Before we return to our conversation, I wanted to offer a warning that the following content can be triggering to some individuals. The subject matter of this episode is Indigenous residential schools and the resulting abuse and trauma. If you feel you need assistance, please reach out to a trusted friend or family member or Mountainside Behavioral Health here in Petersburg at 772-4963. They also have a 24-7 crisis line at 1-877-294-0074.
so I'm I'm wondering with Derek and Linda, how how did you remain connected with your siblings, um, having them gone so much of the year? And do you feel? I guess one question I'm having too is because I just finished reading a book about a survivor of residential school. And in that book, he was saying that um, this, he was the youngest and he had spent more time at home than all of his siblings. And he was the only one that ended up coming back home. And um, in the end, and I'm just wondering how, how you kept those connections with your family or do you, or how do you feel that the residential school has affected those? Go ahead, Derek, call the cancer first. Well, um, for me, I would say um, out of all my brothers and sisters, I have a lot of half-brothers and sisters in my family. I'm the second youngest. Um, and um, I love all my brothers and sisters. Um uh, I, I haven't seen most of them in the last 25 years because I moved to the, to the United States and, um, you know, and I mean, I live here with my, my wife, Kelly, and we have, uh, two beautiful kids. And I mean, I wish, uh, I wish I could spend more time with my family. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's life circumstances and, uh, life choices we've made. Um, um, it's, uh, I know it's, it's, uh, I, I don't forget who I am or where I come from. Uh, I think, like I said, the older I get, uh, the more I always, you know, have a part of me that, uh, will never forget growing up on the reservation and, you know, um, and I think it's a little more challenging for myself since I'm not there. And I always, I always keep in touch with, uh, at least, you know, a handful of my sisters and I talk to them as much as I can, I'm, you know, thankful for, for having a uh, good cell coverage and, um, and, uh, Facebook messenger, that sort of thing. Um, and I just, uh, you know, and I still ask, and I'm I'm learning as a native living away in a different country. That uh, for me, learning and trying to keep my heritage, it's uh, I find it challenging and difficult. But at the same time, it's like um, I still get uh, uh, oh surprised by the from news that I hear from back home at times like this what's going on and but it's at least I, I keep up with what's going on through family still and um so I mean that's that's one big part of it for for myself it's challenging you know for me but I still always uh will never forget where I come from though I think, um, well, for myself, I I ended up staying in Saskatchewan, but it wasn't, uh, um, 
I started my job as a health support worker 11 years ago when it was kind of something that I just fell into and it was um, at that time it was just more because I uh, the personality my my uh, um, this person said my personality would fix would fit this job description so I started working on it and uh, uh, so it's been it's been a challenge being a support worker but it's uh I think uh, because of my family and because I was able to support my siblings and uh, others in my family that's how I'm able to do this job and because it's um, something that you that's just more like a, a nine to five it's something that goes like even after after hours it's something that it, that affects you like residential school even though uh like for us, it's the intergenerational impacts. And uh, for Derek and I, we're two generations away from res from the residential schools because we do have some, like some of our grandparents did go to the residence and, you know, and then some of our siblings went, our parents didn't go, like they went to day school on our reserve. And, um, uh, but our mom did go. She, she went to a girl's school in Regina when she was 13, but she ran away and she came back to... Uh, reserve and she stayed there and um but it's kind of amazing like their own stories that they had and what they had to go through and and so like we continue to go through as indigenous people but like for me uh I was able to uh uh like our uh, my mom she uh she uh, raised us as a uh, in the Christian church, so we went and. But like for me, there was always something more and something missing, and it wasn't until I learned more about um, about the medicine wheel and about uh, living, uh, about the red road and about uh, you know walking a good path that um, things finally made sense and finally connected, and then it it helps me because then I'm able to. Um, help people, you know, help them uh, while they go through difficult times. And it's not just uh, um, just the work that we do, helping former students in that, but it's also like uh, helping in the community where we can. And, you know, if it's like how we can support, support a community without, uh, um, in a positive way, you know, and so we do that through music. And that's something that George and I have, been doing since we've been together like we um we go and we help out at wakes and we sing at wakes and and if there's like community events that's drug and alcohol free we're there we you know we try support community stuff like that and yeah so but it's starting to be uh uh it's uh since um june or since uh the um, announcement that they had from Kamloops um, it just seemed to open up again you know and this time I think what made it different was uh, was that there was evidence this time with the graveyards and then again with uh, was announcing that there was a graveyard by their residents and we're personally uh, um, affected by that because we had family members that go to school in Kauzis and that's where we um like going back generations great uh our great great grandfather was from there and he lost some of his children at the residence and they were sent to Labrette which was another residence away from their community 
So it's just, we could go, you know, we can go on and on because there's so many stories and, you know, but it's just, uh, um, you know, for some of these Canadians, these are new words that they're learning. It's a new voc vocabulary, like where they are learning about the residential school, 60s school, uh, millennial school. Uh, sanatoriums about the nutrition experiments and you know loss of language and culture and so on i i applaud you for having that job I, I i can't imagine how difficult that job is but at the same time i can see that or i hear that it that's part of the way that maybe you heal and find that connection with your family and culture is through providing that service. Um, but yeah, cause I imagine it does affect a lot more than a nine to five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The last question I have on here is um, in what ways has attending residential school affected your family? How is, how did it affect my family? Um, it affected him quite a bit. Uh, you know, we lost that kinship that, that that we had, except for my brother. Uh, uh, or close, I'm close with, I'm close to my brothers, uh, but to my sisters, we're, we're not as close as we would like to be there, you know, but, but we, uh, we still love each other, like, you know, uh, yeah. But that's part of the residential school that you weren't allowed to see your siblings. You weren't allowed to, to talk with them. Uh, but in my own family, uh, you can see the effects of residential school with, uh, with the drugs and with the alcoholism uh, that they're still uh, stuck in, you know, where, where, where they can't seem to, to, to heal or can't seem to get out of that uh, syndrome or, or, you know, so where, where, where I did, where I did my own uh, healing. Yeah. Um, it affected my children quite a bit because I, I, I couldn't, um, love them the way the way I I I should, you know, because uh, at the residence, you know, you you know, you keep that love. You you don't show love. You don't, uh, you know. Yeah, it's it just isn't there. It, it, uh, until later on, when I started my own healing journey, you know, they seen the bad side of me, the, the, the drinking and the drugging, and yeah, and where it has affected them. But you know, when I did start my my healing journey, and and um, things started changing there too, you know, with uh, with my daughter is a school teacher now, and and my other daughter is social worker, and. You know, and my boys uh, are into carpentry. Yeah, where they seem to uh, uh, have gotten out of that, you know, out of that. Uh, you know, 
I guess watching me uh, bearing my emotions to uh, alcohol or medicating my my emotions to to alcohol. But now, for the longest time, I couldn't say I love you to my children. Uh, I couldn't even stand being touched. Uh, I still get like that once in a while. It's uh, not all the time, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, yeah. Uh, that's part of uh, residential. I'll probably die with you know die with that. Yeah. And yeah. We can say I love you to each other now. We can. I can hug my uh, my my children where I couldn't. I could never do that before. Eh? Yeah. So uh, a lot of work, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of my culture, a lot of uh, church. You know, uh, not the denominational church. My own spiritual. Uh, walk let's see um, yeah <laughs> not the, not the, not the god that he taught at the residential school you know yeah. yeah it wasn't it wasn't that god it was wicked and, uh, yeah so through the higher power and you know a lot of people a lot of elders uh, that came along my path for for my healing, for my own healing. Yeah, it changed everything within my family, so, uh, for the better. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's. Uh, I get triggered. I, I get uh, yeah because in this work, hey, when you're helping when you're helping often then. You remember an event, a past event, you know, that you thought that uh, you let out a long time ago, but you, I guess you didn't. So you go back to to where you began, you know, to start, start your healing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I went to university and I went, I went to community addictions. Uh, did what I needed to do to start helping people in, in residential uh, school. If, you know, if I can help myself, I, I can help others uh, that, that are going through the same experience. So, and I've been in this field since uh, 07, since it started in the beginning in Canada. Yeah, yeah we, were, we went to all the hearings and yeah, where where I'm comfortable with my native way and I'm comfortable uh, with the Christian way. I, I, I can, you know, it's, I can do both to help. Uh, the one going struggling, yeah. So that, that's how it affected my family, yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have had some healing. Um, yeah. Linda and George graciously agreed to record a song for us to use in this episode. And here it is. Here it is. It's a healing song. It's called Here Is Now. 
Thank you to Linda Osoup and George Morasti for sharing that healing song with us. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today is September 30th, 2021, Canada's Orange Shirt Day. I'm talking with Petersburg resident Derek Osoup, his sister Linda Osoup, and her husband George Morasti about Orange Shirt Day and the effects of Indigenous residential schools on them and their families. Before we return to our conversation, I wanted to offer a warning that the following content can be triggering for some individuals. The subject matter 
of this episode is Indigenous residential schools and the resulting abuse and trauma. If you feel you need assistance, please reach out to a trusted friend, family member, or Mountainside Behavioral Health here in Petersburg at 772-4963. They also have a 24-7 crisis line at 1-877-294-0074. Now back to our conversation. Derek, I'm going to put you on the spot, but um, Derek and I had had a talk earlier and um, he was talking about, oh, I had, in my research, I had found that the Canadian system of residential schools was actually based on what was happening in the United States. And um, it was documented in in a Canadian report, the Davin report in 1879. And they were looking at the Carlisle School in Pennsylvania and the research that had been done in that school as far as meeting their, the ends that they wanted to with the residential schools. And that's, um, so for anybody listening, I guess that is, thinking that this is Canada and not the United States, that the schools in Canada were actually set up and based on what was going on in the United States. And um, Derek and I had had a conversation about, um, about one of the reasons you left Canada. Do you want to talk about that, Derek? Just about the racism and the, um, sure. Um, um, I guess, um, when I was younger, um, growing up, I, you know, I would say we grew up, you know, in, in, a in our house was always, you know, um, you know, there were good times, bad times, but mostly good times that I remember, especially when we, we left the reservation, um, we grew up in Saskatoon in the city and we went to, uh, good schools and, uh, um, you know, we, uh, uh, my dad was a, you know, retired, you know, farmer, I guess, and uh, world war two vet. And, uh, you know, he did, did what he had to do. And so did my mom. They, you know, they went out and gave us a lifestyle, you know, and worked and showed us how to work and, we kind of applied that. And, you know, when I left, um, I guess it really wasn't a plan on leaving the country. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, that's, that's how life, life goes, it, you know? Um, and I will say maybe it's for, you know, for reasons, you know, bigger, bigger reasons. And so, I mean, I, I choose a different path to go down and, um, I always think about, like I say, I always think about where I come from and I, I won't ever forget, but I, I noticed when I came to the United States that I never came here before until, um, I was, I think I was 22 when I came here on a trip with, uh, with Kelly to see Petersburg and, and, uh, visit, uh, family here and her and all their friends and stuff. And, um, and it seemed like when I, when I came here, 
it was like a whole different world to me that um, I did notice it was different than where I grew up and where, you know, um, um, but, uh, you know, to make, to make it short, um, I could tell a uh, difference in uh, 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 growing up, uh, living with, uh, growing up with white people, I guess. Um, I always went to a school. Uh, it was a little Ukrainian town where Linda and I went to school. Uh, we, I think uh, we lived, went to school there until I was 15, and then we moved to Saskatoon. And um, so, I mean, for us, for me, it was a, a whole different thing. Even even though I I uh, went to a you know pretty much a all white school all the time, that you know there were always times along the road where. You know, you'd always run into people that would, you know, um, just, uh, I guess, using words, being mean, calling you names, you know, I, I, I mean, it was uh, just, just how it was in Canada where we grew up, you know, and um, I, even playing sporting events, um, you know, I was the only native on, on our, on the hockey team, pretty much growing up my whole, all the time I was there. And uh, there were times that it was hard for me, even in my own, for my own team, <laughs> you're getting a hard time. Uh, there were times that my, my mom one time would got into a fight in the crowd and, you know, we, you know, many years later we laugh about it and joke about it, but you know, that's, you know, that was, uh, that's just how it was, you know, I mean, we were looked upon differently and, um, uh, and, but I, I did notice a big difference, you know, coming to the United States compared to living in Canada growing up. And then even when I went back home, uh, when my mom passed away, it was uh, a real eye opener between uh, even my wife when she was talking to me after, you know, just how, how we were treated as a family in the hospital. And, uh, you know, it was pretty unfortunate, but you know, that's, that's just, how things were, I told her, and that's how, you know, you just, you you move on from it, and, you know, maybe somewhere along the road, um, somebody will have a change of heart, and, but, um, like I said, it's just, uh, uh, just different where I am now. Yeah, and the paradox of that that you were, that we were talking about is that you were experiencing less racism as opposed to being in Canada, but yet Canada is ahead of the United States in how they're dealing with the, the reconciliation of the residential schools. Well, um, just from, uh, as far as like, like that goes, I think, I think Canada can't sweep it under the carpet anymore, especially what, what's been found out in Kamloops and, um, uh, in Kauzas. Uh, you, you can't hide that kind of number when there's over 6,500, uh, children that were found at these places. And there's going to be numerous more that are going to be found. 
And I think maybe it's just a big eye opener and, you know, um, uh, um, but, uh, Linda, I know she might know this, but I know, I think they did an inquisition back in was it maybe like 2005, the Canadian government. And, uh, they had a big, uh, uh, I would say that them spending was it $20,000 for an inquisition was too much money to spend on the natives. And, um, uh, now it's, 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 uh, it's unfortunate what, what come around now, but, uh, you can't, you can't sweep this under the carpet anymore. Did you want to add anything, Linda? I think Canada still has quite a ways to go, but I think uh, because like the calls to action have happened in um, <clears throat> with the truth and reconciliation that already happened in 2015 and now people are revisiting it. Uh, I think what happened in Cows is really, uh, and Kamloops really opened up um, what we've known all this time. And it's... Uh, because with the truth, truth and reconciliation, when they did their statement taking, there was always that question about missing children. Did you know of any missing children? Did you know of anyone that went missing? Or uh, um, about graveyards on the, about the graveyards being on the school. So they've been asking questions for quite a while about this. And uh, so I think within the next next year or so it'll be um because the truth, truth and reconciliation or the national center for truth uh truth and reconciliation like they've come back with a number of four thousand, and we've seen already that number being higher or being uh closer to what it was and that's just the ones that passed away while on the residence and so uh, there's the ones that passed away while being back at home and, you know, so on, or if bodies were moved or, or if they're off a residence also. Um, <clears throat> but I think uh, uh, there's other things that need to change too. Uh, that's when we talk about the systemic racism, we talk about the justice, the health system and, so forth, the education system, you know, because like uh, a residential school isn't being taught in the in the curriculum in in Canada's, you know, in some of the schools, and and it's either like uh, you know, like they have to learn on their own, or or there's just not the supports there. So it's um, but things have changed this uh, this summer, like where we've seen. Um, um, where we've seen conversations happen that haven't happened before, um, where we've seen recognition that that weren't there before. As working in this field, we've uh, attended a lot of community gatherings and commemorations. And before it used to be just maybe the community and a couple other. Now we're starting to see Canadians show up and starting to be in the audience now and and starting to support and starting to try understand or or educate themselves about why you know residential school even though it happened you know you know just 
maybe like 20 some years ago where the last school closed, like how come it still has this effect and, you know, like why, how it affects some children in care and, and, and so forth like that. So, yeah. So it's still, there's still quite a ways to go and a lot to learn and, yeah, but every day, you know, as long as we can educate and as long as we can help people, you know, then we, we've done what we needed to do. Yes. Yeah. And that's what the orange shirt is about. Mm-hmm. People will ask, what is, what is the orange shirt about? Mm-hmm. And yes, so we will all have our orange shirts on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Is um, does is there anything anybody wanted to add? Um, I think um, we just like to add that um, you know that this is a heavy topic that emotionally that you may be triggered, and so that there are supports out there, and we ask that people do support. Um, we ask that they they um, ask for help if they need help and not to uh, bottle it up or not to deal with it in negative ways such as drug and alcohol. But, you know, like uh, talk to an elder, talk to a former student. Um, In Canada, there's a national crisis line that someone can phone Um, in the United States. I'm not too sure if there's, I don't think there's a crisis line yet that's national. But uh, we ask that you, you know, that you reach out to your elders uh, for cultural support and um, maybe to church members or to people that you feel that, it, that can help you during this time if it is too emotionally um, heavy to carry for yourself. I just wanted to add that um, there is assistance here locally at Mountainside Behavioral Health here in Petersburg at 772 772- Four nine six three, and they also have a twenty four seven crisis line at one eight seven seven two nine four zero zero seven four. Thank you to Derek, Linda, and George for being willing to share their stories with us today. Thank you for joining us today. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. Today's conversation will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org, and there will be a link at kfsk.org as well.